Isaiah 52 through 53. This is Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told to them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as some, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering, forgive. He shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from Matthew 27, starting at verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters 
and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink and mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lima sakathani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling to Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it be given to him, and Joseph took the body, 
wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which had, he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. We read in Isaiah, one of the names given to the suffering servant is a man of sorrows. We're going to sing an old hymn called Man of Sorrows. What a name. And we serve a God who condescends to us. He actually came and experienced sorrow, who was above us, beyond us, who was above sorrow, but he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, it says in Philippians. And he stooped down to our level and experienced the penalty for sin he did not commit on our behalf. So let's sing Man of Sorrows. Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior, bearing shame and scar. briefly this morning at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The crucifixion of Christ is a well-attested event in history, not just among uh, the Christians or Christian historians, but also among Jewish historians who hated him and Greek historians who mocked him. So the pertinent question this morning is not whether Christ was crucified, but whether I am crucified with Christ. As Leighton mentioned, we don't celebrate a funeral every year. We are are not here to mourn the death of Jesus. It is Good Friday. We are here to celebrate the death of Jesus as it pertains to our salvation. And so we come today to ask the question, am I in Christ? Am I crucified with Christ? For 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's a tension in the New Testament Scriptures, which we call the already but not yet. A way of speaking of the impending kingdom of God, which it already exists, a new creation already present, but not yet here in the fullness of its glory. The beginning and the restoration and reunion of all things in Christ is the restoration of God's people under a new covenant. That is the covenant in Christ's blood shed for His church all those who are in Christ, in Him, in the sense of His death and resurrection. And so the passage previous to ours this morning has already defined for us what the implications are of this new creation disassociated as it is from the old in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The revelation of God's glory among a restored people results in a life of growing obedience by the power of the Spirit, a new covenant people who, having received the life of Christ and having died with Christ, are no longer enslaved to live a life for themselves. Jesus made it abundantly clear in his call to discipleship when he said to all, Luke 9, 23 and 24, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so those whom God saves, he recreates, refashions for a purpose, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the real evidence that one belongs to the new covenant is not some sort of spiritual experience, ecstasy, decision, or ritual, but a moral revolution personal transformation brought about by the Spirit is the evidence that one is part of the new creation. And when we lack this personal evidence, the symptoms of salvation, it does not mean that God has not loved us, but it does mean that we have not yet comprehended His love by faith. That salvation through Christ has not been experienced as a personal reality. For those who have called themselves Christians and have believed that Jesus died and came to life, usually this disconnect is because we have added something of our own doing to achieve salvation. And so in 2 Corinthians 5.18a, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. The work of salvation from beginning to end. Only God's creative power can explain the recreation of a people who once lived according to their human desires and worldly ambitions into a people who live for Christ. And so this recreation, this regeneration is from beginning to end fully the work of God alone who saves, reconciling us to himself through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. This is what we're celebrating here this morning, church. And this all points us back to the Old Testament and the Old Covenant sacrificial system where faithful Israelites were commanded to offer as sacrifices animals without mark or blemish for the forgiveness of their sins. As Hebrews 9.22 says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so Christ, the suffering servant predicted in Isaiah 52 and 53, which was first read to us this morning, bears the sins of God's people as their ransom, paying the penalty of their sin. He who had never sinned was made to be sin, verse 21, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as a result of Christ's death, not only does Christ take on our sin, but we take on His righteousness. And this happens in a couple of different ways. The the perfection of Christ becomes ours in our unity with Him, not because of our own righteousness, but an assigned or imputed righteousness on the basis of Christ's own perfect obedience even obedience unto death on a cross. And so when we have faith in Christ, when we are in Christ, when we have died with Christ and we are resurrected with Christ, then when God sees us in Christ, He sees the perfection of Christ having already been granted to us as a gift. 
But the, the result of this imputed righteous status before God, this assigned righteousness, is that the same righteousness is now daily being incorporated, integrated into the life of the believer, a progress we call sanctification, which continues without end until we are glorified in Christ. And as we take the first step of Christian obedience and are baptized, we are identifying with Christ in both his death and resurrection. This is the initiation right to be called a Christian, is that we have identified with Christ through the waters of baptism into both his death and his resurrection. It is the announcement that because of this gift of life and righteousness, we are ready now to embrace a life of self-denial and daily death to self. This is the essence of what it means to be a new creation, the very righteousness of God, the essence of what it means to be called Christian. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So continuing in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So conversion to Christian discipleship has an outward evidence, no longer living in a way that puts ourselves and just our families first. We have a mission. We are commissioned by Christ to a ministry of announcing a message of reconciliation. Those who have been reconciled now have a duty, a commission to announce this message of reconciliation to all people. In Him, we become the means by which this salvation is being brought about in the world. As ambassadors for Christ, inviting everyone we have contact with to experience peace with God in Jesus Christ. So, 2 Corinthians 5.20b, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The cross of Christ Jesus is the power and the foundation of the Christian ministry and message. The sacrifice of Christ does not merely allow us to escape God's righteous judgment, but it has this life-altering and eternal effect, for through it God breaks the rule of sin over the lives of His people. And reconciled people then live reconciled lives. The death of Christ brings about already here and now God's promised new creation. The cross of Christ is also not merely an attempt to save. It is not that God throws out this lifeline indiscriminately and ineffectually hoping that someone might come across it and save themselves. The consequence of Christ's death are not just a potential that we can actualize by our faith, but a reality that God brings about in the lives of his people. 
It's not that God initializes faith and then washes His hands of it, leaving the results up to our response. The consequences of Christ's death are extremely personal, powerful, and effective to achieve what God intended it to accomplish. Christ is a redeemer who really does redeem. And as a result of His death on their behalf, all those in Christ are a new creation. This is that already, but not yet. They are now a new creation, even though it's going to take some time to see it fully fleshed out. J.I. Packer writes, Our minds have been conditioned to think of the cross as a redemption which does less than redeem, and of Christ as a Savior who does less than save, and of God's love as a weak affection which cannot keep anyone from hell without help, and of faith as the human help which God needs for this purpose. And as a result, we are no longer free either to believe the biblical gospel or to preach it. Instead, we involve ourselves in a bewildering kind of double-think about salvation, telling ourselves one moment that it all depends on God, and the next moment that it all depends on us. But Scripture emphasizes the powerful, effective, life-changing nature of Christ's death. Romans 5, 8-11, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so there's a, an appeal to us in this passage this morning, a command, a response, be reconciled to God. But this is not a request that we would accomplish what God cannot, but a command based on the reconciliation that Christ has already accomplished through His death and resurrection for those who respond. The commands of God effectively accomplish His plan and design for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Let's pray. Father, as we come today, it's not a Sunday, it's a Friday. We come to recognize and remember Your great sacrifice made for us. And God, this morning, we haven't put on the theatrics. We haven't pretended to be at a funeral service. We haven't pretended to sacrifice you once again upon the altar. But we have come to ask you to do a work in our hearts. As much as we desire to glorify you, God, we can't come and do something for you today. But we ask that you would do something for us as we come to you with eager expectation and joyful hope knowing that you do not fail to give us what we need. 
And this morning, God, as we come to remember the crucifixion of Jesus, as we come to recognize and remember the cross of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would put it in our conviction, in our self-assessment of understanding, am I crucified with Christ? For only those who are crucified with Christ can rightly call themselves your people. Only those who are daily denying themselves to take up their cross can rightly call themselves Christians. And so, Lord, we ask you to do this work in us. And this is why we come to your table this morning. So, Lord, we ask that you would bless this bread and this wine. We ask that we would be able to receive this in true thanksgiving and celebration of who you are. God, we can't even give thanksgiving appropriately without the work of your Spirit. And so, Lord, as we come together as your body, I pray that we would celebrate your work and that you would continue your work until the day of Christ Jesus. We ask this for his glory. Amen.